Ah, so many things to talk about, but let's see what you want to talk about. We start with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Morning. Hey, good morning, sir. Um, I want to ask a couple questions about pruning oak okay. trees. All right. And uh, basically, I know that the, the window that you're not supposed to prune is supposed to be like February 1 through the end of June. I don't agree with that, though, because as long as you're pruning or as long as you're sealing every wound, um, you can prune 365 days a year. I, I, I think they have come up, some of the little uh, inner cities uh, have come up with that because they know there are an awful lot of fly-by-night t- tree pruners that are not going to do a good job of sealing the wounds. But if you're doing the work yourself, um, the, the tree really doesn't care, uh, live oaks, red oaks. Uh, I like pruning in the winter months on the red oaks, just cause with leaves off, you can see what you're doing, but if you've got pruning that needs to be done, and if you're not banned from doing it by your, by your little city government, uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to prune this afternoon. In fact, I may be doing some of that when I get home. Yeah, so there's there's really no need to wait till say December. You know, the cold months no benefit the absolutely tree not. Wood. And yeah. even in okay. the cold months, you need to use that pruning paint because uh, well, it doesn't have to be pruning paint. You only have to seal that wound for about ten days. So actually, a lot of expert arborists are saying uh, latex paint may even work better than pruning paint. But uh, you need to use it three sixty five. You're not off the hook with using uh, a sealing paint just because you prune during cold weather, because you and I both know we can have 20 degrees one day and 80 degrees the next in South Texas. So, uh, right. uh, yeah, no, you, you prune when you need to. And remember that red oaks, also known as Spanish oaks, uh, and live oaks are the only oaks where you really need to worry about sealing the wounds. Uh, most of our other oaks are in what we call the white oak group, and they are not susceptible to severe damage from uh, oak wilt. Okay. Um, what about those small little sprouts that come up under the canopy from the roots? If you just whack those off at the ground, do you have to paint the tips of those? You know, you cut them off. Technically, you could transfer oak wilt into a into a tree that way, but the likelihood of it is just somewhere below minimal. And um, again, I trust people smarter than me on this issue and. Uh, the arborists that I talked to say, go ahead and just mow them off, said the chances are just almost infinitesimally small. The, the thing is that the, the creatures that spread oak wilt, spread the spores that cause the oak wilt fungus, are sap beetles. They're attracted to, uh, you know, tree sap. And if I had an oak sprout that was half an inch in diameter, yes, I would either cut it off below ground level or I would seal it. But these little things that are the size of a pencil lead coming up in there, they're very unlikely to produce enough sap to attract a sap beetle. And because of the size of the wound, it's going to seal over almost, you know, immediately to where there's not any danger of that spore getting on the wound, germinating and penetrating into the tree's uh, xylem. So, um, yes and no, I would mow the oak sprouts out and not worry about it. But if you have any of the root sprouts that have gotten up to pencil size or bigger, um, and, and what I do on those, I rarely ever paint them, but I use a grubbing hoe and I just chop them off an inch below ground level, knowing the beetles aren't going to be able to get to that wound. Right. Um, then also, I've got these other randomly located uh, little sprouting, what looked to be some kind of an oak tree that just kind of come up out of out of nowhere along my hillside, sometimes okay. in little clusters. Uh-huh. 
Um, they don't look like live oak leaves or red oak leaves. And they drop their leaves look. in the winter? Um, geez, I don't even know if they do, <laughs> but they, they look like an oak leaf of some yeah. kind. I'm wondering if those would be the same. Those, those, are, little sprouts. those are shin oaks. And they're in the white oak group. Uh, and this is a tree. It forms big mots. And uh, right. I've got a lot of them up on my hilltop. Uh, they're valuable to have. They're actually a very good resource for some kinds of wildlife. Like uh, uh, there's a bird that was recently on the uh, endangered species list. It's been moved to threatened. Uh, now, it's not the golden cheek warbler. It's the um, black cap, not black cap vireo. It's... Uh, Oh, one of the little warbler types, but uh, that's their prime nesting habitat, and those things will send out a, a, a lateral rhizome and may sprout up 15, 20 feet away from the nearest uh, you know, clump of these things. But no, those are called shin oak, and they're very valuable to wildlife. They never make much of a tree. The biggest ones on my ranch are probably 12, 15 feet tall. Majority of them are no more than three or four feet tall. So worth having, but don't give them a thought because uh, they're not in that group that uh, is likely to be affected by oak wilt. Okay, uh, my last question is on uh, live oaks. Some of my live oaks have uh, quite a few small dead limbs down low in the canopy. Others mm-hmm. don't. Is that just a function of them being shaded by the rest of the tree? Or is there quite likely. On that? Yeah, quite likely. It could also, you know, have to do with uh, if your ranch is like mine, you've got one spot that the rock is two inches below the surface and next spot over it may be significantly deeper. The tree that has the shallower, less expansive root system, and granted, it's we haven't had a severe drought in several years now. Although you never know. We may be starting a new one today. But those right. trees are a little compromised when we do have an extended drought. And, of course, 2011 was the worst one-year drought since they started keeping weather records, actually worse than the so-called drought record in the 50s. But those trees may simply not be as strong when we get into a stressful situation they may lose some of those interior limbs long as the new growth is looking good on the tree i would not be at all concerned uh whether or not you remove those little limbs is strictly a matter of cosmetics um if you do remove them if you're cutting you know out away from the trunk that's dead tissue and there's no reason to seal it if you're cutting up right against the trunk where you may cut into live tissue then it's just as important to seal that as it is a bigger wound Okay. Very good. Well, really appreciate all those answers. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you taking a, a good interest in your trees and protecting them. Call me anytime. Okay. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Bye. Yep. All right. It's uh, Bobby's turn. Good morning, Bobby. Uh, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Just have a couple of questions for you. Okay. Uh, first one's probably a pretty quick answer. Uh, Nandina berries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the red-orange berries. Right. Uh, are they toxic to cardinals? I am told that they are toxic to all birds. Um, and, you know, I people keep telling me about, oh, this dead bird, that dead bird. I've had Nandinas around family properties my entire life, and I have yet to see a bird dead around a Nandina. So, I, I think their toxicity is highly overrated, but I suspect that they are toxic at least to some degree. And um, I, I, my suspicion is that if a 
cardinal or any other bird is eats one or two of them, no big deal. If they sit there and gorge on them, um, yeah, there may be a problem. But that can happen with, you know, lots of different things. I think cardinals are pretty low down on the bird IQ list. <laughs> Just from a behavior that I have observed from them, but I'm not removing all my nandinas for fear of harming the birds because I have a huge bird population. I have nandinas, I have berries, and uh, I've never seen any impact on the birds at all. Well, I see, and that's exactly the reason why I asked you. I was commenting to a good friend who listens to you pretty frequently who thought you said that they were toxic to cardinals, and I, I had a cardinal in the backyard uh, in December that was just mm-hmm. chowing down mm-hmm. uh, on those berries. Uh, and I've got a lot of Nandina. I, I like the, I like the the contrast in, in sure. landscaping that sort of thing. Oh, and they're an evergreen plant that gets good fall color. Now the old fashioned ones have put out the runners and almost become invasive. The, a lot of people got turned off on those when they were kids, but I point out to them that we've got incredible new varieties there are some varieties that do not do well here like the purple dwarf which has its curly leaves and it's a great houston plant but uh you know i if you see the cardinals really chowing down on the nandina berries put out a feeder with some black oil sunflower seeds they'd rather eat those anyway okay that's a good good option uh, uh my second one uh is about sago palms. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I've got a sago palm in the front yard, which I think is the best one in the neighborhood. Even <laughs> though I'm sure some people would disagree with me. <laughs> it's uh, good taking, to take pride in your sago, yes, sir. I, I really do. I've been taking care of it for years. Uh, I have been using has to grow on it, and uh, it, you know it has survived the deepest uh, cold that we've had in winters. This year, though. Um, I, I had to cut away uh, some brown uh, uh, prawns, mm-hmm. uh, about twice as many as I usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I've noticed uh, it, uh, a smaller a smaller sago palm is growing in that same right along the same large trunk. Okay, uh, and so I'm wondering if First of all, if the uh, the browning of the uh, prawns uh, has anything to do with uh, the extra no. rain we had this year, no, no, not okay. at all. Uh, the browning of the fronds has to do with that freeze. Was it late October, early November, when we suddenly went from very hot to very cold? I mean, things that don't ever freeze really took a hit. Viburnum suspensum, Asiatic jasmine, plants that, you know, are normally cold-hardy down to 10 or 12 degrees. The new foliage froze on them because they we did not have a gradual cool-down. The plants did not have a chance to harden off, build up those sugar levels, which create, in effect, antifreeze in the sap. And uh, segos are one of the things that took a took a bit of a hit from it. But, um, uh, you know, it, it didn't have anything, does not have anything to do with the little ones coming up. 
And I, this has just been, I don't know, I've, I've lived in Texas for, I was born here, but I've spent a few of my young years in other places, but I've never seen a year quite like this with, well, who's ever seen 50 degrees in the middle, or 54 degrees at my house in the middle of July, and um, it, it's just been a weird, weird we- year weather-wise, and the plants, you know, show it, and your say goes one, um, could happen again this year, could not happen for 50 more years. Well, um, then I've listened to you long enough to know that if if you do anything as far as like transplanting or planting with sago palm, you you wait until August. Right. Well, July or August. Needs to be July or August. Yeah. We're we're almost August. Uh, I I thought about maybe uh, taking out that that smaller plant Mm -hmm. and transplanting it somewhere. Uh, How would I do that? Whack it off the trunk, uh, anchor it down in a pot of soil that probably will have almost zero roots on it. Helped a friend divide one a few years ago, and I think it was like 28 of those little pups we took off the big plant, and 26 of them survived and grew. You know me, I don't want to just tell you what to want to do. I want you to understand why you do it. And sure. with true palm trees and with uh, cycads like sago palms, when you cut a root on that sago, uh, it dies all the way back to the trunk of the plant. Same thing's true with a windmill palm, Mediterranean fan palm, Washingtonia, whatever. And that's why you can see big plants with very small root balls transplanted very successfully. But the plant is only going to grow new roots when the soil is quite warm so the calendar has nothing to do with it it's just we all know july and august are going to be your hottest months of the year and so if you're damaging the root system of a sago if you're cutting a little pup off of it if you're transplanting a windmill palm whatever we do it in the hottest part of the year knowing that uh, virtually all of that plants big roots are going to die all the way back to the trunk but in that hot soil it's going to put on new roots immediately and that's the reason we do it at that time of the year sure and uh, again you said a uh, container with soil uh warm soil mm-hmm. um anything special you need to add to it besides water no, no just okay. water if you want to put a little hash to grow or something in there that's sure. fine but uh, anchor it in place so it doesn't rock around and break off any new roots that are trying to form but uh you won't really know till you take it off whether it has any roots on it or not but many of them do not and you're probably going to have two or three of the fronds that are on that new little pup you know turn brown uh just from being cut away from mama plant but uh the great majority of them survive and turn into very nice sagos uh, uh, has your big plant that <laughs> your pride of the neighborhood has it bloomed for you in the past uh it regularly does there okay. annually uh yep. this year it didn't uh-huh and again, go figure. I just the reason I like to leave at least some of those little pups on is that with a multi-headed plant, usually not every one of those heads decides to put on the cone, um, whether it's a male or female plant, either one. So I I'm not real fond in mature sagos unless the room is very restricted. I don't like cutting them down to just one single trunk and nothing more, because we get then we get that year when they do go into a reproductive mode, and then maybe we get a real 
cold winter on top of it, most of the fronds freeze, and the plant sits there for 18 months with no leaves, and that's obviously quite hard on it. But since yours apparently has multiple heads, you know, go ahead and trim it off if you like. But speaking of toxicity, um, the seeds and the that little bulb that you cut off, those are highly toxic to dogs. So keep them yes. away from your puppy dogs. They're, they're dangerously poisonous to pups. Thanks for mentioning that. Yes, I've heard you say that uh, several times. Uh, I, I wasn't sure whether these little pups were a sign that the sago was in stress. No, sign it's a mature okay. plant. All right, that's great. Well, Bob, thank you a whole lot. I've got a lot of other questions, but I can't remember them. I'll just call <laughs> some other time. I'll look forward to helping you, Bobby. Have a great weekend. Okay, thank you, thank sir. You. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Okay, here's the situation. Bordering my back property line along a chain link fence, I have an empty bed approximately 50 feet long and 32 inches deep with a cement curb. Now, I recently discovered I have five to six volunteer dwarf cherry laurels coming off a parent plant in another part of the yard. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about transplanting them to the bed for a privacy screen. So what I need to know is uh, how to dig them up without damaging the root system, how far apart to plant them to make a dense screen, but I don't actually know if I have enough plants, okay. and how deep to plant them, water requirements, and uh, solarization, soil preparation, etc. That sounds like uh, transplant 101 to me. How large are your seedlings that you want to move? Uh well, maybe about a yard high. Okay. Um, the reason I ask, you know, you are going to damage the roots. It's just minimizing the, you know, the damage to the roots when you transplant. Mm-hmm. And the bigger they are, the more important it is to wait until the weather cools off. If you told me six inches tall, I'd tell you transplant them this afternoon. Uh, three feet tall, I'm going to wait till October, November, whenever the the temperatures are lower, just to reduce the, the stress, the transpiration right. stress from moving them. So, um they and and you're obviously in an area where cherry laurel has done well for you. Well, where I have the one at one, it's planted on the side of the house, mm-hmm. but it doesn't like it there because there's too much shade and it's all slanted to one side. Uh-huh, but the growth is good and healthy, and leaf color well, is good. It's okay, but I I used to have about. I think three or four of them, and that's the only one that's surviving. Okay, well, that's that's the point I'm coming to. If you're looking for a privacy screen, you don't want to put a wimpy plant out there that's not going to thrive and grow. And my experience with cherry laurel, and I love them. My grandfather has one or had one that must be 30 feet tall next to the house, but well, he's up in more. deeper soil, and that's a standard. These are probably, yeah, yours are called bright and tight, which is the dwarf, but they really don't like San Antonio unless you're in just really good soil and have the perfect place for them so um i'll happily tell you how to transplant them but you know if i were going to plant a privacy screen uh, i wouldn't use cherry laurel i probably would use xylosma i might use uh, japanese yew if i had room for it to spread out and wanted really big plants i might use loquat um I might use one of the clumping bamboos like uh, the Golden Goddess, which gets about 10 feet tall, but doesn't spread out into the yard. I just, I think there are a lot better plants for okay, that even privacy. If, uh, even if you live like a little south of the King William area where the soil is deeper? Mm-hmm. 
And again, the fact that you planted four and only one of them's doing well, that says something to me like, you know, for whatever reason, Cherry Laurel is not super happy, you know, in that situation. So, but if you want to transplant, if you want to give it a try, um, you can certainly do it. I just don't want you three years from now to look back and say, man, that was a mistake. If I planted one of these others, my head should be 10 feet tall and beautiful. But if yeah. if you want to work with what you have, um, wait until the weather has cooled significantly, and you're going to want to dig for a three foot tall plant. You're going to want to dig a root ball that's maybe 15 inches across. That's not too terribly big. You will have your new hole dug. Um, you will dig a circle around it. You will cut underneath. You know, some things like a mountain laurel, you almost have to tie that root ball up with burlap or something. In this case, I don't think so. Just, you know, lift it, handling it by the ball only. Put it in place, plant it exactly the same depth that it was growing before, water it in with some Garrett juice, some Super Thrive, something like that, and it will go through minimal transplant shock. If you're looking to make a dense hedge, you need to put them about no more than three feet from center of one to the center of the next one. So if you've got a 50-foot length there, you're going to be looking at needing a lot more plants. You're going to be looking at needing about 17, 18 plants uh, to really fill that area. Mm, and yeah. um, But, you know, the, the choice is, do you want a boring, dense hedge that's all the same plant, uh, but, you know, gives you nice privacy? If it were me, I would mix in maybe a couple of, if it's sunny, I'd mix in a couple of crepe myrtles just to get some color out there. I might mix in uh, some plants with more colorful foliage here and there. Um, I, it's just boring, <laughs> you know, yeah. to have 50 no, no, feet of the same thing, but sometimes um, that's necessary. Okay, you mentioned it a while back, something about cattle panels. Uh-huh. How, how would that work Cause if to attach them to the, ca- the chain link fence? You would uh, have to put some taller posts in to support them. Um, it is certainly doable, but the cattle panels are extraordinary, du- extraordinarily durable, but they're also fairly heavy. Uh, so okay. this is going to mean, um, you know, as tall as you want the fence to be, uh, you need to have uh, some sort of uh, metal pole, most likely. I like metal better than wood, where you you want something long-term. And then if you have somebody in the family is handy with a welder, you just tack them up to the metal okay. pole. If not, you can, right. uh, you know, drill a hole through, put a little bolt through, and uh, attach your cattle panels that way. If you yes. do that, then you can grow a vine like Confederate jasmine would be beautiful in the area where you are. There's an evergreen vine, gives you lots and lots of flowers. If you like the tangerine beauty cross vine, like you see around uh, the pearl uh, complex down there, better that that's another good choice. I will okay. tell you um, how many panels would I need for a fifty foot long? Uh, they come either sixteen or twenty feet long. So obviously, uh, twenty feet mean uh, you need two and a half. I mean, I'm sorry, fifty feet mean you two and a half. Uh, if you're getting um, you know the sixteen foot long ones, you need just over three panels. Three, three panels with a 16 and, t- and two and a half with for the, the 20. Right. Okay. Now, I will caution you one other thing. Um, our wonderful city government, which seems to have its head in the wrong place a whole lot, um, in many areas there is an ordinance that says you can't build a fence over six feet tall without getting a variance. Um, so you need to look into that before you create this screen. Sometimes people plant plants just because they don't want to go through the hassle of, uh, 
you know, of getting a permit for doing something on their own private property that Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that. And some people would just figure it's easier to get forgiveness and to get permission. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you of that in advance. You just need to check check with that and see if it's going to be an issue. Okay. Now, would the soil need solarization? No. No, unless you have a horrible weed problem there. That's the only reason to solarize. And solarizing is going to destroy a lot of the good things in the soil. So if it's not necessary, don't do it. Okay. And lastly, I have one volunteer loquat. Uh, uh, any recommendation for that? It, it, it came up in a very shady place. But, sure. Um, well, loquat's a great plant, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be extremely wide. A 32-inch bed is about, you know, yeah, a fourth no. as wide as it's going to grow. But no, right, plant it where you like. put it somewhere else. Yeah. No, it, it just recognize that it's going to get 8, 10 feet wide unless you trim it into a tree. But loquat will grow in the shade. Loquat will grow in the blazing sun. It's uh, wherever you would like to have that and have room for it. 10 to feet, 8 to 10 feet wide and how tall? Mm, we've got one at the nursery. She's probably about 15 or 18 feet. Okay. That's helpful. Okay, sir. Well, that's that's good for starters, then. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, call me anytime I can help. I appreciate the call, Carmen. All right. Let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Cosette, Carolyn, Patrick, and Jim. Good morning, Cosette. Hi, Bob. It's been a while. Well, it's good to hear your voice. You've been very, very popular. Not that you aren't always, but (laughs) I have have a couple questions for you. If you don't have time, if it goes over, you can just cut me off because I'm a talker. I think you probably figured that out. Well, let's get started and see where we go. (laughs) Okay, so on my live oaks, I am noticing dead branches. However, on these dead branches, there are like these greenish-gray barnacles, if you will. Mm-hmm. Those and are either lichens or they could be a little bromeliad called ball moss. Uh, they have nothing not to do for sure. Uh, yeah, they, um, uh, they have nothing to do with the fact that you have some dead branches. Uh, you see them a lot on the interior part of trees, but they're probably lichens. It's a little symbiotic relationship between things that don't bother your tree in the least. So I would not be concerned as long as a new growth appearing on your tree looks good, as long as these dead limbs are probably mostly toward the interior of the tree. That's just kind of normal for a live oak. Okay, and next question um, my front yard faces the west, so it's a scorcher. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, my my lawn looks like hay right now. It is so bad. Is it what kind of fast or fast-ish growing shade tree would you recommend? Because we get a lot of wind from that direction. Mm-hmm. And um, after Harvey, I used to be so envious of my neighbor's giant, beautiful, <laughs> majestic live oak. Sure. Well, I came back, I was like, well, maybe it was a good thing, but. Have two little scrawny live oaks in the back, way back of my yard, right? Um, because they topple down in everyone's houses. So I want to kind of keep it, you know, not too close to the house, but create a little bit of shade. Mm-hmm. Well, the fastest growing tree you can plant is uh, what they call a Mexican sycamore. 
Um, if you're ever by Shades of Green, look at the one that's toward the back of our parking lot. That tree's been in about 10 years, and it's 50, 60 feet tall and probably 20 or 30 feet wide. So it's going to wow. grow at twice the speed of almost anything else. It will need some supplemental water. In nature, these things grow along creeks and waterways, but it's not it's not a water hog. But uh, you, you can't just plant it and forget about it like you can a few other trees. And so where people ask me for reasonable quality instant shade, far, far better than Arizona ash or cottonwood or things like that, which are on, have their own set of problems. So that's the tree I'm going to recommend to you most highly. If you want to go with an oak, the so-called Mexican live oak, Quercus polymorpha, also known as Monterey oak, is the fastest growing of the semi-evergreen oaks. Uh, cedar elm, not a bad choice at all, but all these things are going to grow at about half the rate of the Mexican sycamore. Montezuma cypress is another tree that it's only going to live for two to 3,000 years, but uh, it grows fairly quickly. <laughs> There's one down in uh, Mexico in the little town of Tule that they actually uh, determine the age on. It. It's 2,500 years old. But um, wow. but if you're asking me for fast growth, it's Mexican sycamore. These trees, on average, last 30 to 50 years. And um, so what I tend to do or would suggest to do is maybe plant, depending on the size of your yard, plant a couple of those for instant growth, but maybe plant a couple of the longer-term, more durable uh, oaks or elms or something like that uh, so that, you know, 30 years from now when the sycamore is not looking so good, you can cut it down and you'll have other trees already up to a good size. Okay, great. And then I have a third question, and this is very brief. Um, it, it was really interesting because I learned so much more than just about plants from you. So I think my IQ has gone up just by having <laughs> You're very kind. And I'm grateful. Uh, but so one of your callers had called in, and I guess he initially um, had heard something on Dr. Kirby's show about a dog with vertigo. Uh-huh. Well, he called in to you and said, and it was very coincidental or ironic, if you will, because my husband had been suffering from really bad de- uh, debilitating vertigo, mm-hmm. and he'd gone to an ENT, no, uh, no answers. And then your caller called in and said that um, he had been taking magnesium, and I cannot remember the second half of it, and I was hoping you would. So we don't have Whole Foods and Aransas Pass. We mm-hmm. don't have GNC. So we went to Walmart, and all we could find is magnesium. So he was taking that, and, I mean, it was incredible improvement mm-hmm. but i was so curious as to what he said he was taking it was magnesium and the second part started with a g Ooh, you know i tend to remember things that affect me and i'm blessed to not have vertigo problems with a d um i tell you what i want you to do uh tomorrow morning Pick up the phone and call Rhonda's Nature's Way here in San Antonio. There are two locations, and Rhonda knows more about supplements than anyone in Texas. I mean, they've had their businesses for over 40 years. You don't stay in business unless you're helping people, and chances are she can drop something. I'll have to check with her and see if they do it here. I'm talking about her without knowing for sure, but my suspicion is that she would be able to drop in the mail to you whatever you need if it's not something you're likely to find, but... um, Uh, Of course, you know, you said your husband's been to the doctor. It is important. 
important to find out the cause of these things because it can be it frequently most frequently is related to the inner ear but there are problems with tumors and other things that you would definitely want to take care of before they before they get to a point that they can't be controlled but um i am told that um that you know vertigo there are some supplements that will help it a great deal but uh Rhonda bone at Rhonda's nature's way uh, you probably you'll find her at the south side store more often than the north side store but um call and ask her and that lady will bend over backwards to help you or help him awesome thank you so much we haven't been to san antonio in years and my daughter's birthday's friday so we are taking a trip out Wednesday, so I'll actually be able to go to Shades of Green. Well, we'd love to have you come by and look around. It's very definitely a pretty place. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, and you do the same. Because said it's nice to talk to you. Uh, let's talk to Carolyn. Good morning, Carolyn. Yes, uh, Bob. I'm visiting in Bernie, beautiful Bernie. Very good. Some friends. And I need a one-on-one on Pride of Barbados. He planted... Uh, he planted several seeds last year, and only one of them came up, and it's about two and a half feet tall in a pot. Mm-hmm. And he's one, wondering when he can plant it into the ground, when he can transfer it into the ground. As soon as Dr. Kirby and I go off the air at noon, that would be a very good time to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it needs to go in the ground. It would be much easier to maintain in the ground. My pride of Barbados and Bernie freeze to the ground every winter, but they come right back out. Had he taken those seeds and do what we call scarifying, which basically means scratching the seed, every one of them probably would have sprouted and grown. And the five that didn't sprout last year may very well sprout this year or next year. But um, Pride of Barbados is a one of our most colorful plants for a bright, bright, sunny spot. There's no such thing as too hot or too sunny for Pride of Barbados. So uh, tell your friend to get it planted as soon as possible. Need to water regularly to uh, get it off to a good start. After that, I probably water mine about every three or four weeks is all I do. And they are in full, just majestic bloom right now. So very definitely a good plant for the Bernie area. Okay. You get the pod. Uh, no, uh, and what about fertilizing? Does he need to do that when he, uh, when he transplants it? Does he need to put anything on it? Well, it'll grow a lot faster. If he would either get a dry fertilizer like Nature's Guide or good old Medina Growing Green or uh, Meister Rose Texas Tea, if he would just get one of those good organic products and put some in the hole, put some on top after he plants would be good. Or he can just go ahead and plant it and follow it up with some Has to Grow or Fox Farms liquid or something like that. Okay, you've answered our question. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You enjoy Bernie. Have a good afternoon, and uh, I will talk again. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Patrick and Jim and Candy and Ralph in that order. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got three questions from the sublime to the ridiculous. The first question is, uh, I have a Magnolia Grandiflora, and um, I went out to see Brandon out at Phoenix, and he's a veritable savant on plants. Uh-huh. And uh, he he recommended some evergreen fertilizer because it's still in a container. I'm not supposed to plant it until September. But it's been losing leaves, and what I've read is that that's pretty normal at this time of year, and I'd like 
for you to comment on that. Where, what part of town do you live in, Patrick? Boulevard. Okay. Um, are you an area with deep soil or very shallow soil? I'm going to build an area with deep soil. Okay. And since you mentioned deep soil, uh, how deep should I build it? Well, you're, I would have chosen a little gym, Magnolia, rather than the grandiflora because they don't get as big. They don't have as expansive a root system. You basically need to right. build the biggest bed that you can manage depth-wise. I'd probably... I'd probably go 18 inches deep and keep in mind that you don't have to dedicate that bed solely to the magnolia. You can plant some other fun things around it. But uh, as they say, size does matter. And that tree wants to be a real big tree, which means it's going to have a pretty big root system. So it would like, you know, pretty, pretty good area to be able to grow its roots into. I see no reason to wait till September. It may be that long before you get your bed built. But um, uh, again, no reason not to plant it. The things to know about growing magnolias in this area is you've pretty much got to give them their space. They are not really much of a shade tree to live under because if you drive around and look at the really pretty magnolias in this area, they have limbs that are touching the ground. They need that low, low foliage to shade the soil to keep the soil cooler. But, um, you know, if, if you give it adequate room, if you give it good soil, if you water regularly, um, you can grow a very nice magnolia. Yeah, it's going to be, we're going to have our backyard landscaped, and it's going to be the centerpiece, you know, that commercial Uh where the lady walks in with the faucet and says, build me a house around this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's basically what we're going to do. Now, you must have family that that lives somewhere in the deep south that loves magnolias. Well, I used to live down by the San Antonio River when I okay. was a kid, yep. and all in that area, there's magnolia trees all the time. And, of course, around uh, the river, you've got question. that deep alluvial yeah. soil, so that's where they're happy. Yes, right. sir, second question. Yeah. Second question is, is the sycamore fig tree that grows in Israel, can it grow here? Um, most Israeli plants, if they are cold-hardy enough, uh, do very well here. Our climates are actually very similar, except that we do get colder in the winter months. So I've not grown that. You would need to check on the cold-hardiness. But other than that question, it should do just fine here. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do some more research. I just wanted to see if you had anything on the top of your head. Okay, the last question is the grand solar minimum. Uh, how is it affecting uh, crops at this time? And I'm having some weird, uh, maybe I just never noticed it before, but uh, my deer are dropping ponds almost, it looks like they're going to be dropping them into August. And usually they just drop them in June and then they're done around here. Yeah. I'm wondering what effect did the Grand Solar Minimum is having on animal behavior and crops. (laughs) You're going to have to call Parks and Wildlife to get an answer to that. I don't think it has, you know, a great impact on crops, but it very definitely may be impacting wildlife because they are so much more in tuned with what's going on you know, atmospherically and everything, then humans have lost those senses a long, long time ago. But uh, call Parks and Wildlife uh, and ask them. Uh, They're great people, and it's our tax dollars that support them and uh, have nothing but respect. Everybody from uh, 
you know, the head of the place who happens to be a great man with an incredible memory uh, to the guys and gals that are out there in the field. You can probably talk to, you can talk to one of their non-game biologists would probably be able to give you the most definitive information, but uh, I'm not going to make a guess at something that I know absolutely zero about, but I know who to ask. All right. Well, I thought I'd throw you a curveball there at the end, and you whiffed it. So I dodged it. I didn't. I didn't hit it out of the park, but I dodged it fairly effectively. <laughs> Patrick, okay, have a great day, and we'll talk again. That was a bunch. Right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's talk to Jim. Good morning, Jim. Hey. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, real quick, we, we live out west in Uvalde. Um, Got, I guess it's what you would call a succulent cactus, maybe about the size of a large avocado. Okay. Yeah. It, it, earlier this year, it produced about a, a, a I don't know, it had to have been a couple dozen of uh, real pretty, uh, like one centimeter flowers. Mm-hmm. And now, wherever those flowers were, it, these little appendages. Are coming out. Okay. Are they like little seed pods? Are they different color? Um, or are they like uh, new little uh, sprouts coming out on the side of the plant? Well, they're, they're varying colors, uh, mostly greenish, uh, maybe a little reddish, pinkish. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I don't see any, we don't see any seeds, but we were looking it up on Google, you know, and they said you could probably pluck them and and, and plant them, and that's our that's our objective. We were thinking about trying to propagate this. Well, it's it is probably in the uh, genus Mammalaria. If you want to look it up, the fact that they are turning pink to red in color tells me that they are seed pods rather than new growth coming out on this little cactus and i would leave them on the plant until um they'll get to the point when you just you know barely touch it and they just fall off that will be your indication that the seed is ripe and ready to plant now i have to tell you that some of these things are tasty to wildlife some of them are actually very delicious to humans there's one called pataya and when they start to mature the spines actually fall off of those seed pods so you're going to need to keep an eye on them because every little squirrel possum even some of the birds are going to want to compete with you for those seed pods but if you take them off before the seed is mature they will not sprout and grow so you may end up building a little cage or something over the mama plant and then just periodically just nudge them with a pencil you know turn around just nudge them with the eraser and at the point that they just fall away from the parent plant that is when you can take them Uh, they'll have a pinkish inside to that and a black seed and you can either plant it intact or you can scrape the seeds out and dry them and plant them that way but uh yeah it's it's um oh gosh hard to say there's uh most of the ones i know have a bigger flower than that so i'm not going to guess at the species but uh, you most definitely can propagate them but just be sure the seeds mature before you harvest it but try to protect them as much as we can from the wildlife right until they start to fall off yeah okay Got it. Very good. 
Well, good luck with it. I love a lot of little native cacti and succulents, so I'd love to see you plant a bunch more of them. By the way, when the wildlife eat them, uh, the seeds are pretty durable. They normally pass right through the intestinal tract of uh, the animal, and that's how Mother Nature gets them planted around. And I see no reason to wait any longer. Let's just uh, push that button right there and say good morning, Candy. Good morning. Good morning. I hope I can help the previous caller that called about the magnesium. Uh-huh. Um, it's called my magnesium glycinate. Okay. And I, I it's uh, the brand is Solar Ray. Okay. And I got it from Natural Grocers, um, and it's inexpensive. I take two capsules a day, and I haven't had any vertigo. That's fantastic. You and know, I, it's... I have to put a plug into Natural. Oh, grocers. me too. I love. I love natural uh, grocers. Do you go to the one over on North New Braunfels or the one out yeah. on the Northwest Military? North um, New Braunfels. Yeah, me but too. Everyone there is knowledgeable about the product. <laughs> and super and nice. a health coach there named Jennifer. I know so her very well. Up to an hour and a half with you. Yeah. So anyway, she suggested this um, magnesium glycinate. It's, it's um, absorbed by your body quicker sure. than the other yep. magnesiums. Oh, very good. Well, I appreciate you sharing, and I appreciate your plug for natural grocers because I I feel the same way. They're they're so much less expensive than certain other groceries that masquerade as being natural with their products, and we won't mention them by name. But, uh, yeah, the natural grocers is my grocery of choice. They they don't carry everything I need, but let me tell you what, supplements, uh, I I get most of mine at Rhonda's, but every now and then uh, when I'm, you know, in natural grocers, I find they have a really, really good selection as well and great produce. So I appreciate you bringing it up, Candy. Oh, one more thing about them. Um, they give veterans 5% off. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Nope, that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Uh, Ralph is up next. Uh, good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Bob. Mm, good morning. I have recently acquired a five-gallon bucket of uh, Medina has to grow, and it says for lawns, and it's 12% nitrogen. Right. On the on the labeling, it says to use it as a fuller spray. Can it be used for pot plants and no, just to no, abs- absolutely not. You have has to grow lawn, and I accidentally used it on <laughs> some tomatoes one time, and uh, let's just say they did not do very well at all. Has to grow lawn is fine for your grass, but don't use it on anything else in the landscape. Okay, and as far as using it on the grass, can it be applied to the soil? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, In fact, I like it better as a drench than a foliar spray because I think it's much longer lasting that way. Okay, and another question. You were talking about Mexican sycamore. Is that an evergreen? No. No, it's a fully, completely deciduous tree, and uh, uh, it's it's different from the American sycamore. The leaves are bigger, and the Mexican sycamore is much less prone to some of the foliage diseases like anthracnose. Uh, the little sycamores you see growing up and down the creeks and rivers and things like that, totally different plant than Mexican uh, sycamore. Mexican sycamore makes a big, majestic tree, huge leaves, and very few problems. Other okay. than it does need a little supplemental water. it's uh, For a fast-growing tree, I think it's the best of the bunch for fast growth and instant shade. Now, the area where I'd like to plant it is a fairly shallow caliche. It's very alkaline soil. Uh-huh. What it's, do you think it might do okay there, or would it? The alkalinity, the alkalinity won't really have much of an impact, but, you know, 
Um, the better the soil, the better it will grow. If I were going to plant in that kind of area, you know, I'm probably going to keep it pretty heavily mulched. Uh, it would be important when you initially plant, dig that hole, fill it with water, be sure that all the water drains out within a fairly short period. You don't want to plant any tree or shrub in, in a bathtub, so to speak. Uh, if you find that your soil drains poorly, you'll probably need to create a raised bed, just build it up with some rock or you know, some natural product that, or for that matter, you could just berm it up if you have a big enough area. But uh, just be sure it does have good drainage and do everything you can to gradually improve the soil. Okay, sir. Not going to grow uh, quite as fast as it would in King William, but it will grow. Okay, that'll work. And what would be a good uh, liquid fertilizer to use on pot plants? Uh, the Medina uh, Hestero plant. Astro plant is wonderful, and Medina also has her new uh, liquid fish blend. I use both of those on house plants, but uh, it has to grow lawn. Uh, you can't use that is truly for lawns only, but it has to grow plant is great for pot plants. So if I get the one for plants, I can still use it as a soil drench in the pots? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do it all the time. My orchid's got a dose of it uh, last Tuesday, as a matter of fact. Sounds great. That is everything I have this morning. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure, Ralph. I appreciate the call this morning, and I will move on to Tana. Good morning, Tana. Hey, good morning, sir. Good morning. First of all, thank you so very much for all of the things that you have told me and the rest <laughs> of the folks over the years. And you might not remember, but about three or four years ago, I had the section in my chinka pen mm -hmm. where the limb just died, right. and I was concerned about the rest. Mm -hmm. And you said, "Do this, that, and the other, and wait." And I did, and the limb never came back, but the rest filled in to where it's hardly noticeable at all. You'd have to have known about it. Yeah, chinka pen's a good oak, and it will do that for you. And um, since you told me to use the runoff from the air conditioning. Uh -huh. I have had no problem with my water feature pump. <laughs> Very good. Now then, what do I do about the algae that forms on the tube that <sighs> takes up the water? You know, um, is it something that you can easily take out and clean, or is that an issue? Um, that would be an issue. Okay. Um, hydrogen peroxide in the water will very much reduce the amount of algae that you have. Um, whole ground cornmeal in the water ties up the potassium, which limits the amount of algae that will grow there. And they also, and I'm not sure where you get it, probably a pet store, they make little bitty-bitty miniature bales of barley straw that, for whatever reason, are anti-algae. I know some people will weight them and put them in their farm tanks and troughs. Now, if you have a whole bunch of algae in there, you don't want to kill it at this time of year because the decomposition uh, will reduce the oxygen in the water and can be toxic to fish when they don't have enough oxygen. So we're not going to do any big time algae killing in the middle of the summer months. But periodically, you might just add a little bit of a grocery store hydrogen peroxide. It's not going to bother your fish. And uh, I know that's what Howard Garrett uh, uses to minimize uh, uh, algae in his water features. Okay, now this is a decorative water feature. It's got one long tube that comes all the way up, maybe um, 
two feet, okay. and then it cascades down, and it's only eleven quarts. Okay, and I it's don't, I don't it, I don't have I don't have any fish. Yeah. But the dog drinks out of it. The cat drinks out of it. Yeah, the birds. That, yeah, that's not gonna not gonna be a problem. Put about a quart of peroxide from the grocery store in there. Do it in the evening. Much of it will have dissipated by the next morning when the birds are going to come back, and your pets are likely to use it. But uh, uh, that kind of dilution is not going to cause any problems. But I I do that uh, probably quarterly, and I think that it's not going to totally eliminate the algae, but it's sure going to minimize it. Okay, so now this is. 11, uh, 11, um, excuse me, 11 gallons. Oh, 11 gallons. Um, yeah. Start with a quart and no precautions whatsoever. You can do that 24-7. Uh, if it doesn't do the job as thoroughly as you want, you could uh, you could double up and use more. I mean, peroxide's cheap at the grocery store, probably under a dollar for a quart of it. And uh, that's what I'd start with and, and see if that's strong enough. Uh, and it's just going to be a little bit of experimenting and experimenting how often you have to use it but it's gonna it's gonna totally stop any buildup it's not gonna ever eliminate the algae but it's sure gonna stop any buildup that would be clogging pumps or causing any problems like that okay now when i used the quart of peroxide on my bird bath mm-hmm. freestanding bird bath it was foamy the next morning and i had to completely do a water change mm-hmm. i think you so, put a little more more in there than you really needed to uh Okay. But now realize that hydrogen peroxide, chemical formula H2O2, very rapidly becomes H2O, water, plus oxygen. So it naturally breaks down very quickly. If you'd simply left things be for 24 hours, I'm sure any foaming or whatever else would have gone away. But I think you probably just really used more than you really needed to use. But hydrogen peroxide is not a stable (laughs) compound. It it tends to just turn to water and air pretty quickly. So one quart for these 11 gallons will will do it fine. That's what I would start with. Um, You know, there's so many variables. Your your water is good water, which means it's going to grow algae more quickly. And um, how much algae grows depends on how much sunlight and how warm the water is. So I can't, uh, if you were to call somebody like uh, Shane out at Water Garden Gems, he could probably give you a more exact uh, answer, but I'm just going to pick up some peroxide next time I'm in the grocery store, try a quart of it, and see how it works. <laughs> well, this little water feature is under that before-mentioned chinkapin oak. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to hurt the oak. <laughs> no, uh-uh, it wouldn't. Well, I thank you so much. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, a big pet to your four-legged friends. <laughs> okay. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Dana. Bye. All right, one line open. Grab it if you like. We are going to talk with uh, Gary and Betty and Grace and uh, get the glare off this phone here. Gary is up first. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. Um, This may be a little bit off of the gardening. Um, I have an issue with uh, our history of termites. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been engaged with uh, Bobby Jenkins. Uh-huh. Uh, you may know him. I, I know him. the company. I can't say I know him personally. At least I'm not yeah, aware well, of it if I do. Uh, yeah. The company name 
is the first uh, three uh, letters of the alphabet. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> okay. Um, I have, for the last three or four years, been in a uh, treatment agreement with him. It's, mm-hmm. it's annual. And I got to thinking it's it's due to renew. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking maybe you could tell me or help me to, uh, <clears throat> with possible, you know, on the market for treatment of termites. Okay. Well, um, again, I don't know, Bobby, I know Mark Ambrose was uh, there up here in San Antonio for so many years. Good guy. Um, where, well, okay, termites 101. Uh, termites are a natural thing. They are everywhere. If we didn't have them, we'd probably be 40 miles deep in dead trees and wood and everything else. Um, where they occur around, you know, out away from a foundation, where they occur, you know, in a wooden fence or a shed out in the backyard or something like that, the same beneficial nematodes that we use to control fleas, that we use to control you know, grub worms and a lot of different things also kill termites very, very effectively. Un- yeah, unfortunately, where we have problems is most builders do not do it correctly. They they leave a hole in the slab wherever the plumbing comes through. It's called a penetration. And the really good builders use a stainless steel mesh where those holes are, they keep the termites from coming up, but the other 98% of the builders don't do that. So we end up with, you know, severe problems in the home sometime when you have a termite colony. And the termites here that we, we deal with 98, 99% of the time are just, they're called subterranean termites. They live in the ground and then they come up through their little tunnels that they create to feed on the wood in your home or wherever else. And unfortunately, they're there is not a homeowner product out there that will take care of a termite colony that's all the way under the middle of your slab. And so, again, it just depends on what kind of problems you have or what kind of problems you may anticipate. Uh, one thing I will tell you about termites is you don't want to get them to get out of hand. You want to you want to get them under control if and when they occur. So many times a good uh, exterminator is a good idea. And uh, I, I know they use uh, something they call the Centricon system, which is a baiting system that's pretty good at taking care of termites. But uh, um, I hope I'm answering your questions. Uh, I don't worry about termites um, out in the yard, out in the barn, out, you know, places like that, because I use the beneficial nematodes regularly enough that I know I control them. My home is on pier and beam, so I'm not concerned. I mean, I've got, <laughs> I was down there taking care of a plumbing problem this week, as a matter of fact, and I'm fortunate that I have, you know, crawl space. It's three to four feet high, and I can even take care of things underneath. But if your home is on a slab, if you have problems or you have had problems with a termite collar, well back underneath the slab, you're going to have to rely on them to take care of that for you. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. Thank you so much. Well, always a pleasure, Gary. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Next up is going to be Betty. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I have good. a couple of questions uh, about my Esperanza. Yeah. It's about Seven feet tall. Okay. Well, last year, it well, and this year, too, it died down. 
uh, last year I let it grow up. It was too tall, didn't bloom. So I cut it, but the piece that I didn't cut bloomed. Well, I uh, haven't had such good luck this time. It's not blooming at all. Is it out in full sun? It is. It gets a lot of the evening sun. Mm Mm-hmm. And full sun during during the day. Okay. Um, and, and I have an orange one right next to it that's blooming crazy. Now. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I guess I guess I can say unfortunately, uh, Esperanza mm-hmm. tends to grow pretty easily from seed. But our old common yellow Esperanza is kind of a crappy bloomer, and the bloom, you know, clusters are very small. And when people go out and collect the seed pods and grow their own from seed, which is fun to do, you don't get a real good quality plant. The really good yellow Esperanza that you see growing everywhere, a solid mass of blooms, is a very special variety, which is called Gold Star. And it sounds like you do not have a Gold Star Esperanza. It sounds like you have the old seedling variety, which just no matter what you do, it will bloom eventually if it's out in the sun. You can perhaps increase the flowering a bit with a little more regular fertilizing, has to grow or something like that. But if you want a plant that looks like the beautiful ones you're seeing all around town, you just need to go to a nursery and be sure the one that you're getting is Gold Star. If you have a friend that has a Gold Star, don't plant the seeds from it because they're probably going to come back as the bad one. But you can grow them from cuttings, and of course you're getting the same genetics, so you're getting the same good results. Um, those new colors, the balls of fire, oh golly, there's several different ones, orange to red, uh, gold with a, you know, uh, more reddish throat, uh, and they're more compact growers. Uh, the only ones you're going to find of those are the improved varieties. Most of them came out of a nursery development called Mountain States Nursery, so I'm not at all surprised that they are blooming well, but uh, you, you can't, you know, you, you you can't take a plant that doesn't have good genetics and make it perform the way another one does. So at some point, I want you to find Gold Star Esperanza and plant it, and you'll not have this problem in the future. Well, and I hate to admit it, I, I guess I shouldn't, but I bought it up at a big box store, uh-huh. <laughs> and I really lost it. Well, I'm, <laughs> I have to say I'm not surprised, but, you know, I... Uh, um, unfortunately, I answer this question periodically. In the big box stores, they do something called pay-by-scan. They deal with growers uh, that are looking at price only, and I won't go into a 15-minute discussion of, uh, of of why their plants are many times not the same quality. But uh, at this point, uh, buy wherever you like, but be sure that that tag says Gold Star Esperanza, and uh, you'll be getting a much more dependable, much more productive plant. Okay, great. I think I was wasting growing green on it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Probably so. And, and, you know, I I don't mind that you say I I didn't really buy it. I rescued it from the box store, but unfortunately it was a rescue that would have been better off in the dumpster. Really? And one more question, or two more. Uh, I have some white plumblago. How Mm -hmm. do I propagate that? From cuttings. Um, You can... You can uh, do cuttings this time of year. Take off any buds or blooms. Uh, You'll want to use the perlite. The white volcanic material is the best medium for rooting. Uh, Take as many cuttings as you like uh, from toward the tips of the branches. Soak them in a liquid seaweed mix uh, for maybe 15, 20 minutes. 
in a six or eight inch pot, you could put uh, oh, eight or 10 or 12 cuttings in there. About 60% of them are going to take root for you. Keep them in a shady spot, water them two, three, four times a day, whatever you can. And uh, the white plumbago, again, you're getting exactly the same genetics when you take a cutting. So it will stay white and it'll be beautiful for you. Great. Um, I haven't noticed too many hummingbirds this year. Do you, you think that's uh, unusual? Or I have a lot of perennials. Um, it just depends on where you are. Um, my business partner has, oh, probably two or three dozen. Our caller, Mark, from up in Fredericksburg, has about 2,000 or something like that. My population um, has diminished. I sure don't have as many as I did early in the year, but uh, it just depends on on where you are. Some people have uh, fewer than usual. Some people seem to have more than unusual, and you're going to have to ask the hummingbirds why that is. Okay, very good. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Betty. You do the same, and thank you. Bye. Let's get back to the phone lines. Grace is next. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about the lady just called about my Esperanza. Yes. I've had three that I know I bought either at Millburgers or the, the, their Gold Star. I know their Gold Star. Mm-hmm. And this and they're beautiful. They're growing. There's no blooms on all three of them this year. Are they in all? Are they in full sun? Full sun, everything. They, I've had the best blooms. They they get they grow so high and everything and. I don't know what I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, I'd I'd fertilize them a little bit more heavily. They okay. should be coming into bloom if they, uh, but they've bloomed well for you in the past. Oh, every year, every yep. year. They're they're probably just slowed down a little bit by the cold weather. Um, okay. That the secret is there that yours have bloomed well in the past. My last caller, you know, hers had never done really well, and that's what uh-huh. made me pretty sure it's not Gold Star. Gold Star will get around to blooming, but uh, um, even though you wouldn't have known it yesterday when it was 100 degrees outside, but right. overall our summer has been cooler. And Esperanza loves it hot, loves it sunny. You will help it with little has to grow, a little bit of happy okay. frog or fox farms or espoma, one of the good fertilizers out there. But um, okay. I think in your case, you're just going to have to be a little more patient. And okay. once it gets started, it'll go all the way up to freezing weather. Okay. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Anything else I can do for you today? No, that's all. Then Thank you go you. enjoy your Sunday. Thanks, Grace. I will. You too. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, next up is going to be Mary, and then it will be Denise and Pete. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I'm calling from Catula. Okay. And I had I had heard that, that I think it was the Clayburg Center down at Kingsville right. has developed a straight mesquite tree. Have you heard anything about that, like where they don't curve or? Um, no, I haven't heard about that. I know they've come up with some thornless ones, but, um, I, <laughs> uh, you know, it might've been an Aggie joke, but <laughs> yeah, it, it might've been, or maybe not. I mean, mesquite, if they're, if they're, if you planted a mesquite tree out in the open where it was not crowded by anything else, it would grow into right. a state tree. Right. 
Uh, mesquite is normally an upright tree, and uh, the the fun thing about mesquite, I mean, it's one of the hardiest trees in the world. It can be pushed over, you know, flat on the ground by a storm, and it's still going to grow. It can be crowded in among six other things, and it's going to, you know, grow at an odd shape trying to get to the sunlight, but left on its own, planted out in the middle away from competition and storm damage, they're going to make a straight tree, yeah. so... I'm I'm not sh- I, I haven't heard about what you're describing and yeah. maybe they found a way to make yeah. a straighter one but I'm I'm not aware of it if so. <laughs> yeah. Uh if I find out about it I'll let you know but we Appreciate were talking that. about it at one of the AgriLife meetings and uh, nobody seemed to know much about it. Uh It would be I it it's not a tree that I recommend planting in most areas no. certainly not rural because uh um, once they start making beans, I mean, I, I fight it on my ranch. It's a, uh, oh, it's, it's a gift and I, I can't complain too much because the old uncle that inherited most of my property from, he thought it was great fun to take the mesquite beans, uh, from his trees in town and feed to the cows. And they planted it all over my ranch for me. And I've been fighting it ever since. But, um, so in, in a, uh, situation where you're planting it in a yard in town or something like that, fine, but boy, please don't plant any more of it out in the, out in the hill country. Right. That's kind of the problem. I've got a little 15-acre tract right here in the city limits, mm-hmm. and and it, there is a lot of the four- and five-foot-tall brush coming up right. because we did have some cattle in there a few years ago. <laughs> yep. But, but I'm trying to reclaim it. Yeah. Um, but also on that uh, about mesquite, is there somewhere that you know that might mill the, mill the bean pods to make a flower or... or I know some people have talked about it before, <sighs> but I haven't heard about it in a long time. Um, you know, I would uh, I would ask at natural grocers. I would ask uh, Rhonda over at Rhonda's Nature's Way. Okay. They okay. they are more directly in touch with a lot of folks in the industry than I am, and I golly, I would know where to. Tell you to start. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I think Pioneer Farm or uh, Mills is going away, but um, I'll tell you another place that you might call uh, the most incredible kitchen supply shop I have ever known is called Rodriguez Butcher Supply. The old granddad okay. started it in his living room, and uh, but they have the best quality, everything from vacuum packers wow. to knives to everything in the world. And uh, if anybody would have something that, you know, and, and their prices are really reasonable, and their quality is just <laughs> incredible. But call Rodriguez Butcher Supply and ask them if they have something that would help you mill your own and uh, like I say, call Rhonda or talk to one of the people at Natural okay. Grocers. They might know somebody in the area, but uh, um, if it's something you really want to do, there's no reason you couldn't do your own in Rodriguez Butcher Supply. Sure, be the people to talk to. Mm-hmm. And are they in San Antonio? Yeah, yeah they're over just okay. west of downtown. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's if you're looking for anything in the way of quality cutlery, and, and these folks really know 
I mean, you ask a question, you're probably going to get more of an answer than you need because they were telling me, well, now, if you're boning out deer, you want German steel because it's really tough, tough, tough. If you're doing sushi, you want the finest, sharpest edge on there. You want a Japanese uh, knife to do that with. And <laughs> they, they'll tell you a lot more than you probably really intended. But uh, I love the love the folks over there. And, and just oh, yeah. quality is unbelievable, Rodriguez. It's good that they share their knowledge with other people. Yeah, and that's why they're still in business after three generations. Uh, if I have one more, real, just real quick question. Okay. Uh, in my space here, I've got different areas of shade under these huge mesquite trees, mm-hmm. and then other direct sun. What kind of vegetables could I grow, like plant now, or what would be coming up that I could plant in shade and in sun? In shade, you better hold off a few weeks. Uh, you're going to be able to grow your leafy greens. Of course, your mesquites are going to drop their leaves when we get into the winter months. But um, not much in the middle of summer that's really going to flourish. Uh, I guess if it's really bright shade, though, you could go ahead and plant your tomato plants because their mesquites yeah, are going to be bright. dropping their leaves by the time that they're really up and growing. But uh um, you can certainly plant, uh, some more bush beans. I go with a heat tolerant variety like contender or top crop. Um, you could plant, uh, some more cucumbers. You could plant some more squash. Um, those so would, zucchini? uh, zucchini, zucchini absolutely. Yeah. Zucchini, oh, crookneck, uh, patty pan, any of those will do. Um, and we're just, we're less than a month away from when you can start planting broccoli and rest than two months away. Then we really start in with the cauliflower and kale and, uh, lettuces and things like that. But for today, uh, beans, cucumbers, squash, uh, and get those fall tomatoes planted if you haven't already done so. Knowing that I say, you know, by the time they're really up and growing, well, your mesquites are going to be shedding their leaves and they'll be doing fine. Yeah. But that'll help with the mulch around them, yeah. probably, the, the leaves. And, and what was the, the vertigo supplement? I didn't get to hear it. Uh, it's magnesium. I believe it's glutamate. I don't think she was pronouncing it correctly, but magnesium okay. glutamate is what they were talking about. Glutamate. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for everything. It's always a pleasure. Interest. Always a pleasure. You get out and enjoy your Sunday. And uh, let me keep going here and talk next to Denise. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. How are you today? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Good. I have a lot of little questions for you. Okay. So I want to know what is the best time to plant a sago? So I have it in a pot. It's been in a pot a long time, mm-hmm. but I want to put it in the ground. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jokingly tell you uh, anytime after 630 in the morning when it gets to be daylight, um, <laughs> when you're transferring a plant from the pot to the ground, you're not disturbing the roots. So you can do it 365 days a year. You just do it when it's convenient for you. If you were digging and transplanting, then I'd have to give you a totally different answer. But taking it out of a pot and putting it in the ground, you can do it today or tomorrow or next week or next month. Okay. Same for like a bougainvillea? Same exact thing for a bougainvillea. Now, let me tell you one thing about bougainvilleas. Uh, they bloom best if their roots are crowded. And a lot of times I might enlarge the hole in the bottom of the pot slightly, but um, it's kind of an old trick. You can plant the bougainvillea pot and all. It will grow its roots out through the holes in the bottom of the pot, and you get a lot more blooming when you get those roots a little bit more constricted. Yeah, we were thinking the same thing to put the pot in, but we were debating about cutting the bottom out. 
I wouldn't take the whole bottom out, but maybe I'd enlarge some of those. You know, typical nursery container has four or five, you know, holes cut around around the edge of the bottom. I'd stick a couple more holes in the bottom and maybe enlarge those little holes on the side. But you don't want to make it too easy for the plant to grow roots or you've, you know, given up the benefit of having it more confined. Okay. All right. We want to trim. We've got a lot of sprouts off of our oak trees. Uh Uh-huh. And I was debating, is it better to do those in the winter? Does it make a difference? Uh, you're talking about sprouts up on the tree itself, not coming up yeah, in the ground. Yeah, all down the hole, yeah, not from the ground. Okay. Right. Um, you do it whenever you like to, but you seal every wound, even if it's, you know, the size of a pencil eraser. You need to seal it with, uh, and just old spray paint's just fine. You don't have to buy pruning paint. But every wound that you make on the trunk or a branch above the ground is a potential infection site for oak wilt so i don't care whether it's the middle of january the middle of july you still need to paint those wounds okay but it doesn't really make a difference when i trim them no it doesn't now you're not benefiting the tree you're making it maybe look a little bit more like you want the tree to look but when it comes to physical strength of a tree you're actually reducing that when you take the little growths uh, off up and down the trunk. It may aesthetically look beautiful, but uh, the tree's sitting there saying, why are you doing this to me? So um, if you want to do it, do it any time, but the tree would prefer that you never did it at all. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least some of them. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. There's, those plants, I think it's it's called a yucca, but it's not really a yucca. It has those long red branches of flowers. Yeah, they call it. it red yucca. It is a hesperalo, if you want to look it up, H-E-S-P-E-R-A-L-O-E. But, uh, yeah, it's a great plant. So it has these green pods on it. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a seed pod. I've tried different things. Do they? Can you actually make another plant from them? Or oh, yeah. Do you, yeah, but what yeah? you do is let them turn brown and hard on um, you know, where they are on the parent plant. When you open up that seed pod, it's going to look like a little stack of black tiddlywinks. Uh, the seeds yeah. are flat. They're like the uh, about the diameter of a pencil eraser. And I, gosh, I remember doing that with my friend Alton Grimm many years ago, and I got about 100% germination. So just uh, depending on what you want to do, you can probably a nursery give you a little one of the cell trays. They sometimes start them in. You can take an egg carton and, uh, you know, punch a hole in the bottom, one of these uh, styrofoam types, and fill them with soil and put one or two seeds in every one of those. Just I, I wouldn't start them in a great big pot. I'd start them in, you know, a, a little smaller area for them to start out, one or two seeds per cell, and uh, you should be in the business of growing red yucca more than you ever dreamed about if you want to be. Okay, but you should take them out of the pod. And Absolutely. That, that, that pod's going to have okay. two or 300 seeds in it, maybe more. Yes, it did. Okay. All right, but let them let them harden or turn. Black. Let them harden, uh, and then open the pot, and like I say, take them out and just sort of deal them out like tiddlywinks and get them planted. Does it hurt the plant? What I find is that those really weigh the branches down. Mm-hmm. Does it hurt them if I trim them off early? If I don't really care whether I keep them or not? Well, what you're looking at is not a branch; it's just a seed, a bloom spike. So the plant could care less. 
Okay. You're you're not actually dealing with the leaves, and red yucca doesn't really have a stem. It has a stem at ground level called a rhizome, but you're just you're dealing with the bloom spike is what you're dealing with, and the plant is just as soon be rid of it so it can go on growing. Okay, great. And then my last question, I'm trying to decide. I need to put something in full sun, uh-huh. and I was looking at Esperanza or Pride of Barbados. Looks uh-huh. like they have really pretty flowers on all of them. Right. Do you like one better than other? What does what do they look like in the winter time? How the, long do they bloom? Um, it kind of depends on where you live. I live west of Bernie. My Esperanza. Well, I don't really have much Esperanza in my yard, but my Pride of Barbados. Freeze to the ground every winter, come back grand gangbusters in the spring. If you're way down south, they may not even freeze. But um, if you get the better varieties, uh, uh, the Esperanza may or may not freeze. Esperanza will go down in the mid-20s before it freezes down. And so some years it's going to freeze back, some years not. Both of them are gorgeous flowering plants. Now, Pride of Barbados um, is a select form of this plant called Cecilopinia. There's a, a native form of it that's interesting, but not very showy, kind of green and pink, pinkish flowers. But uh, um, you don't have a lot of choice in different colors and all. It's all pretty much the same size, all pretty much the same color. But it is an excellent hardy plant, the Pride of Barbados is. The Esperanza, uh, on the other hand, there are a bunch of newer, more compact varieties, and the colors vary from orange to kind of a... Oh, almost a, a, a really carmine red color to a gold with a uh, sort of an orangey throat to it. Uh, there are half a dozen new, more compact varieties, and more compact means they only grow about 5 or 6 feet tall instead of 12 or 15 feet tall. Uh, 12 or 15 feet tall, you're going with Gold Star, the you know original improved yellow form. But it really just all depends on what Denise likes. Uh, they're they're excellent plants, and um, you know there are a few other things I would throw into that category, like red yucca, like salvia gregii, um, some of your other tropicals, uh, some of the mallow hibiscus. There's a plant called alamanda. I love the plant called ixora. Uh, those are all things that will give you in intense color in the intense heat so you just check them out and decide what you have room for and what you like best all of them will do well for you well thank you i didn't realize the gold star would get 12 feet so i think i'll have to look for something more complex. well here's the thing here's the thing about gold star esperanza if you're very far north and it's going to freeze to the ground every winter it's probably not going to get more than six feet but if we have a mild winter or if you live further south where it doesn't freeze all the way back and you don't cut it all the way back it can be 20 feet tall but uh, it's definitely going to be one of the bigger ones and if you don't have room for that uh there's some i'm trying to remember there is a gold one that looks almost like gold star it's a little bit more of a lemon yellow but uh it's one that stops at about six feet so uh uh deal with a good nursery that knows what they're selling uh tell them you want one of those varieties developed by that mountain states nursery and they will stay a lot more compact for you oh excellent all right well thanks very much i really appreciate it. i always enjoy your show oh well i appreciate the call you have a wonderful sunday Scott's up first. Good morning, Scott. Hey, morning, Bob. Morning, sir. A question is about planting some seeds right now. I was going to put some okra, basil, and cucumber seeds out there. And I can't remember ever doing it when it's this hot. Uh huh. Is there anything I can do to you know increase the chances of it germinating now that you mulch over the seeds after you plant them, or just keep them wet? 
Um, you want to keep them moist, not constantly wet. All of those right. things should come up and grow like weeds. The basil, I because those are very tender little plants, I might think about starting my basil seed in some little pots and then planting them out. But uh, okra will be very happy just planted in the ground. will come up quickly. Cucumbers are going to be the same way. And, um, you know, that's no, they're not really any special things. Okay. I always give my seed a brief soak in uh, brief soak in Garrett juice, uh, Garrett juice mix to okay. get it germinating faster. But uh, um, the one thing, do you, do you grow your cucumbers on a trellis? Do you grow them in a tomato cage? How do you grow your cucumbers? Like Tomato cage, the one time I've done it before. Okay. What you might want to think about doing is uh, just wrapping a little bit of uh, something like insulate fabric or one of these things that will give it just a little bit of protection while it really gets started and also cuts down on the really drying winds. I'd plant, what, four or five seeds is be what I would plant in a, you know, in a big tomato cage. But uh, And then maybe wrap the lower 18 inches with some insulate, keep it moist, and you should do very well there. Uh, okra, there's no such thing as too hot or too bright for okra. Just watch your watering okay. and like say basil, especially if it's sweet basil, I'd be starting the seeds in a little pot, African blue basil, oval basil, some of those others, you probably go directly into the ground, but sweet basil, I'm going to start it out in a pot and then transplant it into the ground. Okay. Is Genovese base basil, is that the same thing? Uh, pretty much. So it is a sweet basil type. Um, and you know, again, you get... You get that one package of seeds, you'll have enough to start about uh, 40 little transplants there. But yeah. I think you will have, because of the pill bugs and other thing else, other things that want to get after it, I'd be, I'd be starting your Genovese uh, in little pots when it gets about two, three inches tall. Then it can go out into the garden. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, another question, we have lantan out there that we planted in some containers. And, of course, it's got, like, long limbs there's no blooms is that just a matter of weather or should we prune it back a little you need to fertilize it more and water it more lantana is a survivor when it comes to drought tolerance but if you want it to bloom well for you you ain't have to feed it frequently and water it uh frequently as well what what colors do you have in lantana yeah it's it's just yellow. Okay, the new gold probably. Um, yeah, you just need to feed it more and water it more, and it should do well all summer. The trailing forms, the uh, trailing lavender, trailing white, totally different uh, group of lantanas, and they bloom best in spring and fall and just, you know, moderate flowers through the summer. But your upright varieties, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, the pinks, uh, those just, uh, they, if you, if, if they're going to do well for you, they need plenty of water, plenty of fertilizer, watch carefully, look at the leaves. Sometimes the leaves will start looking like they're a little bit bleached out. Uh, you sometimes get an insect on them called the uh, lace bug. If you have that, you probably need to spray with spinosad, but if they're healthy plants, just with no flowers, they just need more food and water. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, let me ask you one more question on the seeding. Uh, should I just mix a little compost in with the dirt or seed directly into the com- some compost? What's Or just plain garden dirt for okra? I, uh, no, I just, uh, I'm just going to make a row. Uh, do you ever have any problem with cotton root rot on your okra? Not that I know of. Okay, and and it's not a big deal, but uh, I'm just going to make a row. I'm going to put those, I'm going to soak the seeds for maybe 10 minutes in Garrett juice, uh, right. in a Garrett juice mix, and I'm just going to direct seed into the garden, pull the soil back over the top of them and water. They'll be up in about five days. 
Ah, great. Okay. Thanks very much. Just plant plenty of it because there are so many good things to do with okra. <laughs> but yes, everybody, Dr. That. Kirby's on my distribution list, a couple of people in his office, one of our employees, and my business partner. And then I get what gets left over. You'll always find a home. Think about okra. You have to pick it every day, so there's a little bit of work involved. But uh, you make a lot of friends if you share your okra with them. Okay. I remember uh, – <laughs> At, out of Gardenville years ago when Malcolm Beck was out there, yep. they had some gigantic pods. Yep. They'd give you one for seeds. Is that, is that available to buy? Uh, they call that Beck's they- Big Okra. Um, you can call Gardenville. Delphine is still alive and uh, maybe oh. doing some things with them. It might still be available. Other than that, try uh, David's Garden Seed here in San Antonio. Okay. And uh, um, I believe he has it. And we'll put some in the mail to you. Okay, great. Thanks so much. You're sure welcome, Scott. Thanks for the call this morning. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. We get to talk to Tana again. Good morning, Tana. Hi, Tana. Oh, Tana, you know you need to be listening to that telephone. Are you there, Tana? I wonder if Tana knows that she called me. Tana? Yes. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry I got distracted. Um, I have Cherokee purple and black crim. Okay. Of course, they're not producing right now because of the heat. Would right. Would it be better to just leave them and hope they're going to come back when it gets cooler or exchange them for a hot weather kind of um tomato well the cherry tomatoes are the only ones that are going to produce in the heat and so there's not another big slicer out there if you love the purple tomatoes you can always plant black cherry and it's kind of like a miniature cherokee purple but uh both of those are indeterminates and both of them if the plants are healthy and good looking um they should go back to producing for you in the fall uh, it certainly and would. I'll leave them where they, I'll leave them where they are yeah. then. And if you want to and plant a few more, you can. But uh, no matter what you do, it's going to be it's going to be you know on toward mid September October before we're going to start seeing more fruit set on them. But uh, uh, next spring, plant some uh, plant some black cherry, and you'll have a purple tomato mm-hmm. that'll produce all summer, even though it's a small one. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, uh, jumping around here to take him in order. Uh, Chris is next. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Just good. wanted to let you know your caller about the mesquite trees earlier was on to something. Okay. Um, Texas A&M Kingsville back in the late 90s and early 2000s hosted an annual contest for the tallest and straightest mesquite tree. <laughs> okay. And they were trying to get genetics so that they could build tall, straight mesquite trees for the lumber industry. Okay. Makes sense. Mainly for furniture and uh, flooring. flooring. Yeah. So that process, I'm sure, has probably taken a couple decades with some uh, mesquite Gregor Mendel out there trying to, <laughs> trying to breed them. So that's, 
under a tree. <laughs> yeah, find a uh, find a modern I, day I Austrian monk and put him to work on it. You know, sometimes, <laughs> right, right, right? Yeah, sometimes it just isn't in the card, so to speak, genetically, and that may be why we really haven't heard much more about it. But uh, you know, down there in King Ranch Country, they probably grow more mesquite than anywhere else in the world. So uh, be worth looking into. But I, I don't know. I I haven't heard if they have really accomplished much as far as attempting to do that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look it up to find out. But yeah. Uh, if, they, if they want any of my mesquites, they can come have them. <laughs> Mine, too. Mine, too. But they have to pull them up by the roots. They can't just cut them down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate the knowledge, Chris. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's just get right back to gardening here. It's going to be Joe, James, Lewis, and Mike in that order. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, couldn't be better. <laughs> That's a good way to start the day. <laughs> hey, I got a couple points and a couple questions. So, uh, my tomatoes, the last couple of years have been really lousy. This year, I had beautiful plants. They grew to about six seven feet tall not a not a bloom on them i almost yanked them out a buddy of mine yanked his out said someone told him that he had nothing but male plants no so that's not true on that no tomatoes okay. are monoecious tomatoes every plant is both male and female now the yeah. so-called husk tomatoes the uh oh what's the other name for them tomatillos uh, those oh, okay. yeah. may be male and female, but tomato plants, they all have both male and female flowers. Um, it really helps with blooming when you and fruit set. When you plant your plants, put a handful of something called rock phosphate directly in the hole, yeah. plant the plant on top of it. But most common problem I see if tomato plants are blooming, they're just not getting enough sun. And tomatoes need to at least start out in full blazing sun to set the buds. Well, that was my problem. So anyway, so I almost yanked them out. I'm so glad I didn't. Bob, I got tomatoes coming out the wazoo, even as we speak. <laughs> those, uh, those tycoon plants yeah. grew to six foot tall. Yeah. That's like unheard of. And I got celebrities. I got cherries. Um, my peppers are still not doing anything in the full sun. But uh, I, I have tomatoes. I take about 10 12 tomatoes every day. That's great. Those plants, and they're still full. Yep. Well, you're doing well. Um, I suspect that they stayed a little bit more moist this spring, which really helped. The cooler temperatures helped them make uh-huh. a big statured plant. So uh, the takeaway here is next year fertilize more and water more because maybe you've been a little deficient on your watering and Mother Nature gave you a little hand out this year. Uh, as far as that, but you know, it's uh, uh, even though yours are producing well, I'd sure think about sticking a few more plants in the ground to be sure you're picking all the way up to freezing weather this fall. That was my next question. When do I put more plants on the ground? Yesterday. Now. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it has to be now. I, you know, we're pushing the 1st of August, which to me is the absolute latest date. 
uh, to plant big fruited tomatoes. Cherries, you can continue to plant the small fruited tomatoes, but we're not worried about them freezing. But your big fruited tomatoes will stop setting fruit when the nights start getting substantially cooler. So you need to get those um, the, the bigger types. They they would have been better if they went in the ground two weeks ago, but today or tomorrow is uh, the just go to work on it. You need to plant them soon. Well, I'll be at the store in about 30 minutes. <laughs> you, Sounds like a good plan, Joe. Uh, glad they're doing well for you, and uh, we'll talk again. Uh, let's see here. Up on the top of the board, that would be James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How are you doing? Well, it's good to hear your voice. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, I'm hanging in there. That's a good thing. Sweating a lot, but, you know, that's the nature of a gardener this time of year. Yes, sir. I was wondering, uh, have you thought about uh, getting anything started for the first round of broccoli? You know, I have thought about it, but between gift markets and nursery trade shows, I haven't done it yet. I may actually rely on some of the growers, but I like getting my first broccoli in about the middle of August, so... uh, if I've got time this week, I'll start some of my own seed, but otherwise I'm going to make sure somebody else has it because, yeah, it's uh, uh, my experience and is that cauliflower and cabbage don't do so well mid-August planting, but, man, I'm, I pick broccoli every year when most people are just thinking about planting it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I was going to get some started uh, soon, uh, but the plan was, to save the the big headed broccolis for the December harvest and go with the the side shoots. Yeah, I think that's for, an excellent uh, plan. For early. Yeah. There's a there's one out there called the Deseco. Hey, tell me that name again. Uh, D I or D E C I C C O. I don't know that one. That'll be worth trying. Okay. Yeah, Johnny's has got it. Okay. Uh, the the deal is. Uh, we found some uh, produce bags with holes in them and handles. Uh huh. And it's a whole lot easier to to bag up those side shoots and then uh, <laughs> sell them out of the refrigerator than haul a bunch of heads of broccoli around. Oh well, and they sure taste just as good. And uh, yeah, I love broccoli that produces lots of little side shoots. Let me ask you: Have you ever grown? Speaking of side shoots, have you ever grown broccolini? I get that at Papado's sometimes. I love it, but I have not found a seed source on it. I'll tell you what. I was going through this last Johnny's catalog, and they have all those uh, little gourmet varieties. I, okay. Or, uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you to, to check out Johnny's and see if they've got the variety that you're looking for. Aye, that's a very, very good suggestion. Just You've grown so many things, I thought you might have experience with it. But no, Johnny's is... One of the best seed courses, sources around Johnny's and Baker Creek are both uh, top flight, and Johnny sure has the best selection of anybody around. So, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be looking at that online catalog uh, if I get through early this afternoon. Yes, sir. Well, I got my seed in, and I'm gonna. I have high hopes for that Deseco or Deseco. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Um, you pinch out as soon as the the apical bud starts looking like a broccoli you pinch it out okay and it goes right to side shoots okay and you don't you you can just pop that apical bud right in the mouth uh, you don't have to waste that but that's uh that's real good advice so you're just producing a myriad of the little ones that are maybe the size of a quarter the tops maybe a little bit bigger than that 
Yeah, uh, three or four inches long. Yeah. Maybe 50-cent piece. Yeah. Um, big around. But uh, when it comes to bringing it all in and getting it all bagged up, it's a whole lot easier to get that done up front. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then you've got it in the, the cooler waiting on customers. <laughs> Has it been a good year for you with customers and selling everything you can produce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody's... Uh, Everybody's happy to get a homegrown tomato, especially those old widow women. They're, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that's why they outlive their husband, is, is they eat, uh, eat more of those good homegrown tomatoes. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, if you're thinking about planting broccoli, I better get on the stick here and get going. And I need to get some DeSecco seeds and give that a try myself. So uh, we both got our job cut out for you. James, it's always good to hear your voice. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All right. Let's see here. Lewis, Mike, and Jay are my next three callers. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a question this morning about saving seeds. Okay. I'm like you, I, I keep my seeds in a mason jar in my barn refrigerator. Uh huh. But what seeds do you replace every year or two? What are you, <sighs> what are you definitely buying every year or two that you're not trying to carry over in a mason jar? Basically, things that I have purchased in limited quantities. Um, I don't, you know, if I can buy the seed, I probably am going to do it on things like uh, Tavera is my favorite little bush bean. And so I'm not, and, and something that's open pollinated, you know, if you're growing a an acre of a given plant, you can be pretty sure that plant is going to come true to seed but if i've got three different kinds of beans growing out there in close proximity i'm going to have some real mixed up genetics in the seeds that they would produce i mean of course you know what what pollinates what doesn't have any effect on the parent plant but um, where i'm growing a bunch of things that could be cross-pollinating i'm not going to be able to save that seed and if it's something that i basically buy a a package of and you know and save then that's those are the ones that I'm going to be buying fresh every year. The things I'm going to be saving, I mean, I only plant one. Well, I plant two kinds of okra, but I don't care if they get a little mixed up. So, yeah, I may save some of my own seed there. Um, I can't, well. Really, what's really that? What I was asking is when you buy the big packets of seed, uh-huh. say sweet corn, you may buy, you know, a pound of it. And you yep. got half a pound left over yeah. carrots or something. Is there anything that you're saying, hey, I don't care how much leftover seed I've got, I'm just not going to bother trying to hold it for another year i'm gonna buy fresh every year that's what i'm really asking yeah no i can't i i think most seed uh most seeds gonna hold over you know just fine for you and there are a lot of things like hecum and all that it's just hard to find the seed at a reasonable price and so those are the ones i'm going to be saving seed from but uh no if i if i have and i generally don't buy in Real big quantities, but uh, I, there's some of the places I shop, they, you know, you actually give you a little bag and you take that little scoop and, you know, go get. Right. So, but uh, that, for me, that's more some of the black eyes and some of the okras, but um, all that stuff keeps so well. 
Uh, now, I may find a package that I didn't even realize was in there, and I see that the date on that was 2013. I'm probably going to buy some fresh <laughs> if it's available because things hide in my refrigerator, and it's not just the amount of junk that may be in there. But, uh, no, that's a great question. But uh, most anything that I've gotten a, a bigger package of, it's going to keep easily for three or four years. So I'm, I'm not going to say I really need to throw it out and buy fresh. No, oh, I've got some. I've got some uh, <clears throat> tomato seeds from back when the Bushes were president. <laughs> yeah, I, but the germination is down to almost nothing. I was pre-germinating. Well, so I had some Merced and some other stuff. That I yeah, was try you know, try that garret juice soak. I think uh, there are seeds that I have given up on, and then when I got wise and started doing uh, my little uh, ten-minute soak in garret juice, I've had a lot of things that I thought were okay. non-viable that went right ahead and germinated and grew. Okay, good to know. Good to know. I heard you talking about that broccolini. Uh, uh, I've actually grown broccolini and asparagus. Uh-huh. Call it, it's the same thing. It's well, right. I think it's just different seed companies trademarked the different names. But and I direct seeded mine. Now I'm growing in raised box beds, four uh-huh. by fifteen box beds that are eighteen inches, and I direct seeded it and I just thinned it okay. as it went along, and I grew it about oh maybe thumb to little finger apart, maybe uh-huh. four inches apart. And it did very, it's very easy to grow. Okay. It, you know, it's just that little narrow, skinny plant. Yeah. And yeah. and just came through and just kept thinning them as they got as they got bigger. But I I just direct seeded it and actually planted it rather thick. And you were so, producing and, in what maybe forty five days? Uh, maybe just a little bit longer. But okay. It's, it's not. It's very similar to broccoli as far as culture and uh, yeah. growing and, yeah. and that and grew grew rather easy. But asparagus. Uh huh. Um. Which obviously has nothing to do with asparagus, right? It, that's what they call it. Uh-huh. I was growing the asparagus, and I think I may have gotten it from Johnny's, but I don't remember where I got it anymore. Well, I appreciate the I appreciate the yeah, heads up. Grow. We'll compare notes, so to speak. Okay. Have a good day, Bob. You do the same, Lewis. Thanks so much for all the information. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Mike and Jay and Jeff and Cindy, and Mike's up first. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I just want to let you know that uh, my weather woman wife here tells me that there's a possibility of a thunderstorm this evening. Ah, well, uh, that's that's very good news. (laughs) Well, I told her there's a possibility of a snow blizzard, too, but there's always a possibility. Yeah, well, I think there's more likelihood of a thunderstorm than a snow blizzard, unless you happen to be in Colorado, and those people have had some weird weather this year, but uh, I'll I'll consult my puppy dog. We used to have a really good weather, um, I thought were some of the better prognosticators, called MyCast, and then that went away, but I have a puppy dog named Maya who's terrified of thunderstorms, so we call hers MayaCast, so uh, I'll ask her this afternoon and let you know. There you go. Uh, <laughs> well, what can I do for you today? Bob, it's uh, once a week too often to fertilize. Uh, I have plants in the ground and in pots, all kinds of plants. You know, it would all depend on how strong you're mixing your fertilizer, and there's a lot of debate out there. Some people like to say, I like to do it weekly, weekly which means dilute it down pretty far. Other people want to use a little bit stronger concentration. Um, 
you know, once a month or something like that. And I guess that's kind of like some people want to snack all day and some people want to have two big meals. Both of them seem to do just well. So you just have to do whatever fits your lifestyle. I don't think you're overdoing it to feed weekly. I do that on some of my orchids. I'm encouraging a lot of growth on, but I'm definitely diluting the fertilizer down a little bit more than if I was using it on, on a monthly basis. Uh, do you use, uh, I use Medina has to grow. I use Medina has to grow and I use Medina's new, uh, liquid fish fertilizer. And I occasionally will uh, use a couple of the happy frog, frog products from Fox farms to get a few additional nutrients in it. I just, you know, it's kind of like me. I like a little bit of a varied diet. So I have to say my Medina products are my principal fertilizers, but, uh, I use other organic products in addition just to bring in a little bit more diversity. Well, I use the one ounce per gallon mm-hmm. and uh, on, like I say, a variety of plants, some in the ground, some in pots. I, if you're going to do it weekly, I'd cut it back to about two teaspoons per gallon. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, uh, that's just a question, but I uh, don't I, I don't have enough time to get around once, uh, once a week, okay. but I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, well, that. and you're not going to hurt uh, if you use it at an ounce per gallon and use it weekly, but I think you're a little wasteful. You're simply giving the plants more than they can make use of. But organic products tend to stay in the soil through what we call cation exchange. And so maybe that's fine because then maybe you may go out of town for two weeks and somebody else is watering but not feeding. So I, I'm not opposed to that. I just think you're doing a little bit more than you need to, but you're sure not hurting anything, Mike. Okay. Uh have you any uh, your thoughts on maybe lightly watering the plants before fertilizing? You know, I think that was important back in the days when we used more synthetic fertilizers with um, the uh, organic products. If you've got time to do it, it's not going to hurt anything, but I sure don't think it improves things. I, I just had a feeling that the fertilizer stuck in a little bit better rather than putting it on dry uh, dry soil. I don't think it makes a lot of difference. I think it may it may penetrate the soil better if the soil's already moist, but I'm just going to turn the hose down, slow down the rate of application, and go for it in my own garden. Okay, I have one other thing. Uh, I have a elephant ear. It's about four feet tall, mm-hmm. and it has two... It had two uh, stems coming up in the center. Okay. And they look like ears of corn. Uh huh. One of them has uh, dried up and turned brown, and I just cut it off and looked inside, and there's three bright orange seeds mm-hmm. and one little green one. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that. I was expecting it to flower. <laughs> well, what you them? what you looked at is the flower. Those that group of plants are called aroids, A R O I D S, and it includes the philodendrons, spathfilums. Spathfilums one actually has a more attractive flower out of it. Chinese evergreens, uh, that whole group. Uh, that's just how they flower. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how those seeds germinate. I don't think the green one's going to do anything, but the ones that are more brightly colored, uh, by all means, plant them up and see how they grow. It'll take a lot of years to make that big old bulb, uh, which in turn makes the big old leaves. But uh, you're just looking, you're just looking at the sex life of the alocasia, the elephant ear, so to speak. Well, I'll be darned. I, I, I 
they don't ever flower, though, do they? That is the flower that you saw, that, that you know, little knob-like structure coming up. Right. I took pictures of it. I'll have to show you, but I was surprised to see it, and I just didn't know yeah. what it was. It's but. not it's not common, but they don't have a showy flower. But um, all true, um, we call them angiosperms, flowering plants, do make a flower of some sort. Ferns don't. Uh, conifers do something different, but, uh, anyway, well, listen, I, uh, always enjoy the visit. You get out and have a good Sunday. You too. And thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you, sir. Uh, next up is Jay. Good morning, Jay. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a question. Uh, my sister brought me, uh, a queen palm tree from the Valley. Okay. Am I gonna have, am I gonna have any luck with that here in San Antonio? Not in the ground. I live by Lake. I live, I live by Woodland Lake. Yeah, you can plant it in a pot and grow it up, but queen palm's gonna freeze in the winter here. Oh man, that's why they do so well in the valley, and why you don't see them around San Antonio. First cold winter, it's gone. But uh, um, and because they get fairly big, um, you know, it's not real practical to try to cover them but uh if you want to it's just you know it's hard to find a big enough pot to really grow them in but if you want to plant it out put it in the most protected area you have over by woodlawn lake you're not as cold as the folks out in stone oak are and certainly not as cold as i am in bernie uh but that queen palm is not going to be happy if we get down to 25 degrees um and and there's no way that I can cover it when it's in the ground, like protect it uh, in any that's, way. Uh, that's up to you. I know people that have built monstrous structures to uh, cover up their plants. And if you're a good enough carpenter, I guess you can build a, a greenhouse <laughs> for a big old palm tree. But uh, uh, it's, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. just depends. I mean, we we did that to cover up some papayas one time just because we wanted to. That fruit was about to get ripe, and we darn sure didn't want to let it freeze but uh yeah it's just gonna be uh, you'd have to be in love with that queen palm to go to that much trouble okay <laughs> all right so like what size of pot do you think she'd be happy in her how, how big is the plant now well right now it's a baby like a 50 cent piece this is just a baby okay like about, I mean, it's right now three feet about three and a half feet tall yeah i'd be planting it uh like a five gallon nursery container and next year i'd probably okay. move it up to a 15 about, okay. a, about a 10 or 12 inch pot this year and up to about a 15 to 18 inch pot next year. And then what do you recommend if I put it in a pot to fertilize it with? Just, just has to grow or uh, any of the good liquid organic fertilizers. Okay. All righty, Bob. Hey, thank you for your help, sir. I appreciate it. Always, always good to hear from you, Jay. You're sure welcome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Bye-bye. Bye. But let's talk to Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Hey. Hey, I got a neighbor just gave me some birds of paradise seeds. Okay. Um, I guess they're kind kind of big. Uh-huh. Uh, when, when do I plant those? Um, you can either save them and plant them next spring. They'll keep through the winter very well. Or you can go ahead and plant now. You probably have time to get some flowers on them, but... Um, you know, the people that planted or had plants already growing back in early spring, they're the ones you see now with uh, those big old plants that are six feet tall and six feet wide and just covered yeah. with flowers. So um, yeah. uh, how many how many seeds did he give you? Uh, about 20. Okay. What what you might want to do, you don't need 20 Pride of Barbados, 20 Bird of Paradise plants. What you might do is maybe... 
put 10 of those seeds in an envelope, put them in a jar, keep them in the refrigerator, not the freezer, save those to plant next spring, and go ahead and plant the other 10 now. Um, if you will take something and scratch those seeds, uh, could be a fingernail file, could be a little triangular file, but if you just lightly scratch those seeds and then soak them uh, in water or add just a little bit of garret juice to the water, um, they will come up and chances are they will have time to make maybe a three foot tall bush that's going to have some flowers on it this fall. But I, and, and you might as well do that and get the benefit of some flowers and then you can go and show your neighbor what a beautiful plant you're growing from his or her seeds. But, uh, I'd, I'd save at least half the seeds and start those out and, uh, Pride of Barbados, uh, Bird of Paradise, Mexican Bird of Paradise, likes really warm soil. So uh, your two choices next spring are going to be either start those seeds in little pots inside and plant them out or wait and plant them about, oh, middle of April when the soil's really starting to warm up. Uh, you don't want to plant them too early because they're just not going to sprout. They're not going to grow in cold soil. But um, if I want to have the maximum number of uh, flowers next spring, about the end of February, I'd be starting those seeds in some little pots. I'd be planting them out, you know, planting my little plants out by the middle of April or so. And then you're going to have a world of color all summer long. And and that's a full sun or like that's full sun. sun. No such thing as too much sun. The hotter, the brighter, the sunnier, the more flowers you're going to have. Excellent. Okay, and then just in a regular mailing envelope and stick it inside a jar. Yeah, that's what I do, and then put that jar in the refrigerator. Our modern refrigerators, you know, are frost-free, which means they're super low humidity, which means that seeds don't keep real well. So um, I just, my seed that I want to save, my seed that I'm, you know, have left over, whatever, uh, I just put it in whatever appropriate size little glassine envelope, and uh, and then I just stick it in a, a mason jar type jar, and it sits in the refrigerator. I've I've got almost as many seeds as I do food in my refrigerator, but uh, <laughs> putting it in the jar yeah. first, it'll last you for years in the in the refrigerator. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much again. Well, you're sure welcome. I appreciate the call this morning, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Bob. <laughs> Certainly. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, we'll probably finish up calls today with Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. My, my biggest problem is mosquitoes. Okay. I need some help. Nothing I do deters them. Um, for me, of course, I take garlic pills. I've read about taking uh, B1. Mm-hmm. I've done everything, and they still just come after me, so... In the past, many years ago, we sprayed with garlic, but uh-huh. I can't remember what we did. Um, you can you can actually rub it on your skin. You can spray it on your skin. It's just because you're such a sexy lady. I mean, the the mosquitoes love those female hormones, and that's why they leave your uh, uh, your your grizzled old hubby alone and come after you instead. But um, yeah. I actually use for me for a personal repellent. I I like this new one um, by. Murphy's Natural that is a combination of citronella and lemongrass and um, I you know it, it seems to last me for about three or four hours 
But uh, that's the one that I'm having the best luck with. They've changed the cactus juice product. It still works, but they took the sunscreen out of it. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm not as crazy about that as I once was. But the Murphy's Natural works well for me. And if you're looking for a different repellent, uh, that's probably the first one I would tell you to try. But uh, um garlic is very definitely repellent to them, but it just it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Uh, the essence of lavender works for some people and not for others. Our Donna that you know very well at the nursery, Donna uses uh, lavender oil, and it's uh, it keeps mosquitoes away from her without any problem. But um, I tried it, and I still was getting bitten, so I started looking for other things. So it just it just comes down to finding what works for you. Yeah, I've I've rubbed rosemary leaves on me, and that mm-hmm. works a little bit, but yep. not for very long. I've done, I've got another one. It's it's a natural. It's called Herbal Armor, uh-huh. and that works works pretty good for a while. It's got citronella and uh, oil of peppermint and sure. oil of soybean, and I mean it it works for a while, but nothing. You know, they just eat me alive. And, As I say, so I hate getting stuck for the drinks. Playing. Yeah. Yeah. Go to okay. Howard go to Howard Garrett's website at dirtdoctor.com. He's got a homemade uh uh repellent that actually has vanilla in it of all things. And I know a number of people that have gotten real good results from that. Okay. What how how did we spray garlic before in the yard? Um they I mean years ago people just minced it up as finely as they could in the blender. Today we have a couple of products. One of them is called uh, garlic barrier, the other is called mosquito barrier, and they're both just uh, a garlic concentrate uh that you can buy the liquid and it's real easy. Just dilute with water, go into the sprayer and uh um it goes on the end of the hose and it's it's very, very simple to do. But either garlic barrier or mosquito barrier, they're from uh Company, I think it's called Garlic Research Labs, and that's what I use for a garlic source. Okay. Well, if I ground up bulbs of garlic already, and mm-hmm. how do, how do I dilute it down? Um, so that it doesn't burn my. You're, you're going to have to blend it down to where it's very, very finely textured, and then it's going to be about an ounce per gallon. Okay. Because I don't want to burn the foliage everywhere. Sure. Else, so. Yeah, not not likely to happen with garlic. Okay. Now you you were talking earlier about uh, going ahead and planting some more green beans. Yeah. I've I've got some top crop and blue lake and Tavera also. Don't are those okay now? Waste the time with Tavera. They will not do well in the heat. I think of the ones you mentioned. Top crops, the one that's going to do the best for you. Okay. Do you always have to use an inoculate? No. If you've uh, if only when you're planting in a new bed, once you have used your your uh, inoculant in a given bed, it's good forever, as long as you're replanting back into that bed every year or two. Okay. And then uh, just real quickly on your when you repot your phalaenopsis, uh-huh. what do you do with that bark? I save it and use it to pop bromeliads and other things in. And if I get a real excess of it, I just use it as mulch in the flower beds. Okay, so if you can go ahead and reuse it. Abs- well, not for orchids, but you can use it other places for sure. Okay, okay, okay. So that's what I'll do with it. Okay. 
always wonder, what do I do with all this excess stuff, you know? Well, it's most, everything out there is recyclable in one form or another. Okay. Okay, and uh, a friend wants me to ask you, can you plant a coconut palm tree here? It'll freeze, freeze and die. They're not at all cold hardy. Okay. Okay. I told him, I said, you don't see them here, so I don't think you really could do it here. As much as I love coconut, I'd have six of them in the backyard if they grew here, but they don't. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. And tell Dr. Kirby hi. I will certainly do it, Cindy. Thank you. Bye. Okay.